culture is the cause and effect of every decision that we make. And the reason why I landed on that is because I felt it was really important to articulate that it's a system and it's um, not just kind of an input and an output, but it, it's a it's a cyclical reinforcing system. And uh, the other piece of that is that it's about decisions and, and behaviors. And uh, that's that's why culture is so important is because we want uh, employees and community members to make the best decisions that they can guided by an understanding around what they're trying to achieve. Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. What does it mean to leverage your culture as a competitive advantage? And while we're at it, what does culture even mean? And why is it so important that my organization articulate and live out our values? Oh boy, today's episode will answer all your questions, especially if you've ever thought culture is, quote, just HR's problem. My guest, author, educator, and culture expert, Josh Levine, founder of culture design consultancy, Great Mondays, shares his expertise on why you need to intentionally design a culture that helps you innovate, perform, and win in your market. Josh is the author of Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love, which was selected as one of Book Authority's best culture books of all time. Today, we define modern company culture and discuss why culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage. Josh shares how to turn the tide on the great resignation, how to evaluate if your company values are helpful or harmful, and how the proliferation of communities in modern business has led to what he calls the consumeration of the employee experience and what you can learn from that to attract and retain top talent. Oh, this is a juicy one for any leader out there looking for a competitive edge. Stay tuned. Let's get connected. If you're loving this content, don't forget to go to theempathyedge.com and sign up for the email list to get free resources and more empathy-infused success tips and find out how you can book me as a speaker. I want to hear how empathy is helping you be more successful. So please sign up now at theempathyedge.com. Oh, and follow me on Instagram where I'm always posting all the things for you at Red Slice Maria. Welcome, Josh Levine, to the Empathy Edge podcast. I am so glad we finally made this interview happen to talk about all things culture and all things, all ways to make your Mondays great. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks, Maria. Appreciate it. <laughs> so let's get into it. I Before we even start talking about 
whether your culture is empathetic or not, or if you have a good culture or a bad culture, talk mm-hmm. to us about the modern definition of a company culture. Cause I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of definitions and I don't think there's any that are specifically wrong. They're sort of the general, if you look it up in the dictionary, kind of the, the practices and rituals of a particular, you know, group of people. And I think that's fine. My, where I landed is that culture is the cause and effect of every decision that we make. And the reason why I landed on that is because I felt it was really important to articulate that it's a system and it's, um, not just kind of an input and an output, but it, it's a it's a cyclical reinforcing system. And uh, the other piece of that is, is that it's about decisions and and behaviors. And uh, that's that's why culture is so important is because we want uh, employees and community members to make the best decisions um, that they can. Uh, guided by, uh, you know, an, um, an understanding around what they're trying to achieve. So that's my, that's where, where I am as far as a definition goes. Well, and I love that because it's also, you know, there, there are those intangibles about culture and the idea of, do I feel like I belong here? Do I feel like I'm seen and heard and valued, but it is also ultimately about getting work done and mm-hmm. making decisions. And I think that's an important element that you know, I, I have a, another friend in the culture space, Rebecca Fries, who talks about, you know, just putting in a foosball table and providing free lunch is not culture. That's just fungineering is what she no. calls it. But you're no. really tying it back to how the business operates and how people make decisions. Absolutely. And I would, I would argue that even being seen and heard and valued is part of what motivates us and in order to feel engaged and make those decisions. So all of those, um, all of those pieces really drive the value and the motivation of the the end, the end result. And, and, and it is a business, it, it is a business endeavor. I mean, and I'm here not talking about culture as in like art films. I'm talking about culture as a, as a business tool, as a management tool. Right. So we have to, we have to link it back to that. Right. Now you often talk about culture as the only sustainable competitive advantage. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, um, when I was growing up in the business world, learning about um, innovation and why companies invest in these types of um, th- this kind of uh, competitive edge is um, what what really what we were looking for and what I understood is not just a competitive advantage, but a sustainable competitive advantage and one that you you can have um, a great, a tool that improves your production but <clears throat> if you if if it's a widely available tool and someone goes oh oh they're using that and it becomes more efficient then I'm going to do it so it's not it's not sustainable so we look back and think about okay so when we're talking about competitive advantage at first it was quality assurance and then it was like rigorous management and then it was um, about 
innovation, and then it was about design, and then it's about talent. But ultimately, all those things can be um, undermined. Uh, even if you hire great, you, you you can see this now. Even if you hire great talent, um, they're not going to stick around for longer than two years. And mm -hmm. so, how what is it that you can? have that can't be stolen it can't be copied that's your culture your culture is going to enable you to establish a certain set of behavioral norms that allow for if even if your top um, employee leaves someone else can come in and go oh i understand how things are going and it's not mm -hmm. that it won't be a blip but that's really important so that it's really hard to establish uh it is hard to turn the culture ship uh, mm -hmm. but once you do it becomes an extremely powerful tool. And the reason why I say it can't be stolen or copied, because even if you read um, a book about the culture of Google and you, you're like, I'm going to do exactly that, it doesn't right. work that way. It's not going to be, it's just not going to, that's just not authentic. It's not going to work. And so you have to build it for yourself. So mm -hmm. even a founder that leaves and then starts another company, it's, it's going to be different. Right. Uh, so someone just told me every sourdough starter is different. So <laughs> it's like it's it depends on what you start with, and it like evolves yeah. and it's complex. And um, and so to me, it's that's why it's so important is because there isn't anything that's going to improve the performance of your organization and drive that you know innovation or engagement or speed or whatever you're trying to achieve more than a culture developed for that purpose right and you know over the years i've had clients who when i'm working with them on their brand story for example and we talk about what are their strengths or what are their what are their what are their assets that they have to work with some of them claim it's their culture mm -hmm. but they actually don't have a very engaged culture that the leadership thinks they do and they try to claim that they do. And I think they almost try to manifest it into existence that if they say it enough, they're, they're going to have a good culture. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find that that is an issue where leaders have a blind spot of thinking that their culture is their competitive advantage, but the reality on the ground is not that? Yeah, I would say implicit and explicit culture is where kind of how I would describe this. So you can have your um, values stated on the wall or on your key cards or the whatever it is. The pretty poster on the wall, I always call it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but if people aren't living that, then it right. doesn't doesn't matter. That's why in in the book and with our clients, we created the six components of culture in order to establish a system that is self-reinforcing. You do need values and you need to be well-defined, but you can't just put them up on the wall and say, okay, we've got a great culture. It really yeah. has to be systemic. It has to be part of the environment and it has to be rewarded and recognized recognized and supported and it's not a part-time job and mm -hmm. so that's um that the one of the methodologies that we use to try to circumvent that issue that you just described where a leader goes oh yeah this is what we have and this is what's great and what yeah. works is and i write about this in the book is we um do we have the leaders nominate culture ambassadors and culture ambassadors are are those employees that are um, high potential employees or people that if you could just replicate them, you'd have like the ideal culture, you'd be right. on your way. And so those folks are, they, they are representative of, are endowed with that, like, hey, the leadership thinks you actually do represent the future of the organization and they're going to be more 
in tune with what employees, what's working with for employees. Mm -hmm. They're the stewards of it. They're basically making sure that you're living it out. Yep, absolutely. And so they know what is and isn't true or what needs to be, um, what needs to be voiced and, and, and given airtime and, and what, what isn't. So leaders, the larger the company, the further removed the leaders are, no matter how much they're walking around. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is just um, a reality of the physics of a large organization. So yeah, I think yeah. that's a very common um, challenge. And it's not so much, I do think that leaders should attempt to overcome it. But in a way, I think the best the best thing is just to be aware that you're not really going to know we're you're not always going to know exactly what is happening on the ground and you should just be aware of that mm-hmm. and you should always be looking to learn more absolutely i mean and you know we talk about this in terms of empathy that ego kills empathy and i would say mm, ego like can that. kill culture as well because if you think one reality is happening from where you sit because you do yeah. have those values clearly articulated and everyone knows them by heart, but mm-hmm. no one's actually making decisions against them. And like you said, which I even talked about in terms of empathy, if you're not rewarding, modeling, making decisions based on those values, then yeah. they're just words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're obviously in a time where we're dealing with a huge movement of I, I don't know the right term for this, but worker centricity, employee mm. centricity, where now knowledge workers have their pick of where they can work, um, also bleeding into some other industries. And they're not, they're not going to take it anymore, right? <laughs> to, to quote a rock song. So how do we, how can companies that are bleeding people right now and don't understand why? And they're like, but we thought we were doing all the right things. We thought we were we have our values on the wall. We thought we were giving them great perks. How can companies turn the tide against that great resignation? Mm. I mean, <clears throat> good news, bad news is that there is an answer. It's just not one that you can immediately flip on. You can't mm-hmm. just decide to do it and say everything's going to change because this, mm-hmm. what employees are fleeing has been um, built up and established over a long time. Mm -hmm. So that would be my first word of warning. It's a long game. It is a long game. It's, it's about stepping back and rethinking your culture strategy. What I would say is we need to think about, um, and I was just uh, sharing this in a workshop. We need to think about what you might call sort of in a nerdy term, the employer value proposition, but it, it is um, what employees need. And I think about it in the five Ps, which is package, potential, people, purpose, and perception. Packages at the very bottom. If you're not paying your folks enough, well enough, then, then everything, the game's over. But if you are, then you can move to the next one. Um, so package is what I get today. Potential is what I get tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So what do I get from, you know, is there a path to, you know, to growth, a, to a, opportunity? A, yeah. To a, yeah. Well, so yeah, to a leadership position, or is it a company that's going to give you a good bump on your resume? 
um, people. It's of course, you know, there's, there's the idea of working with great people, but really what, what we need to think about is what kind of people, because you, mm -hmm. as, as those people are looking to join an organization, it's what kind of person do I want to become? Ooh, I would love to be that creative and I want to be that. Yeah. So that's what you're looking for. It's like, who are the people and what kind of people are you? Do you have those bright lights? Yeah. I mean, and that, that I think empathy plays an important role there because if people come into an organization and they see that empathy or respect or service or humility or all the different ways mm -hmm. companies define empathy in their organization, if they see that that's how they can find success there, they're, yeah. they're more heartened to join. That's right. They're like, that's oh, right. okay, this is, this is a company that I see that the person in charge or the person that's being rewarded or recognized is exhibiting these traits. And that's important to this organization. Yeah. And then finally, we've talked about the last two, we, you know, I talk a lot about purpose. Why are we doing this? That's really important. And that's been around. And if you don't have a very clear why, um, if you don't have an answer to that before people start asking, um, you're in big trouble. What is your why? And finally, the largest, the, the sort of highest value and hardest to articulate is this idea of perception, which is when you retire or when you leave, will, what will you look back at this organization uh, or your time at this organization and say, oh, that was really great. That was, I did this, that, and the other thing. This is what it made me. It, it allowed me to pivot or allowed me to grow or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So that's a really great model. The five pieces are a really great model to start to think about what kind, like if you're thinking right at the, the um, line of scrimmage, which is what do employees want? That's where you need to think about like, okay, what am I providing at each of these levels? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a critical, that's a, I think that's a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you call it the employer value proposition, because in my work with brand strategy, when we're talking about trying to connect with the right clients or customers, the external audience, we have to develop a core value proposition of what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. to do business with you, to buy from you, to work exactly. with you, to partner with you. And it's the same thing. Your employees are a sales audience for you. In other words, it's you have to give them something in it for them so that they understand what they're going to get out of the relationship other than a paycheck, right? Let and me, if you're thinking that they should just be thankful they're getting a paycheck, your culture is probably doomed to fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you're stuck in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, let me amplify what you just said, which is I have... Um, a strong hunch that in the future will no longer be using the term customer and employee. Mm. And we're already starting to think about that. So your point was they're an audience. They are indeed part of your community. And so the way that I see the world for organizations is who are your communities internally and externally? And you define it by an exchange of value. So yes, with employees, you one of those exchanges of value is dollars. But that's not to say that someone on social media can't be a bigger influence than someone in your marketing department. What are you exchanging with them? And it doesn't have to be products. I mean, we're talking about influence or amplification or whatever it might be. And you're starting to see that um, the sort of first phase of that with the kind of Airbnb hosts, who are they? Are they customers? Are they employees? They're not really either. And where do they fit in this mm -hmm. model? So, um, and we're going to be seeing more and more of these types of organizations that um, will 
um, I think, circumvent the kind of traditional walls of, of business. Totally agree. And Lyft does the same thing with their drivers as, yep. as a customer of theirs. So mm-hmm. um, I think especially with the gig economy, the smart companies are realizing that the people providing the services are actually part of their community base, not just their customers. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about a culture where engagement might be lacking and maybe use some examples anonymously or not from your own clients (laughs) Mm -hmm. of you coming in there and, and, you know, clearly they, they, they don't necessarily say they have a culture problem. You've mentioned that to me before in terms of like, Mm -hmm. there's some crisis or some challenge that they're facing that they ultimately come to realize they need to work on culture. Can you talk about a client or someone in that realm that has realized that and came to the conclusion that they need to work on their culture? And then how do you start to get your culture to bend toward the nirvana that you're describing when it's, Mm. when it's not, when they don't have the engagement, they are losing people. Can that ship be turned around? I guess is, is the question. Yeah. Yes. The answer, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Um, We are doing some work with the DC public library right now. And um, they did, they sort of, they, they, they realized, came to these kind of awareness of, uh oh, we need to work on our culture because they engaged in an HR um, research report. And they went around and did all these interviews and they found that not n- nobody, not one, there was no one definition as to why the library, like, why are you working here? And what is, what is the role of the library in the world? Mm-hmm. There was no story um, as you know, as you know, and um, that was really one of the elements is the idea that there wasn't a clearly articulated purpose. And I think what's interesting is that libraries have been around for a long time and they're at this interesting um you might say you know pivot point (laughs) where they have to they like what is their new role in the world and so there's there's legacy people there's new people and so it's like how do we bring these people how they can bring this organization together so when you're asking okay this organization has a particular challenge and they don't know why they exist in the world well if leadership is bought in it's really compelling and really important to establish a, uh, a purpose statement. Why do you exist? And that's really, really important to, to, to have a unique um, and single, singly defined way of articulating the value of this organization. So that would be from the top down, right? So if you have this like, uh-oh, this report that we just paid a lot of money for says our culture is in trouble or whatever it might be, I'm not saying <laughs> right. that's what DC said, but it was like, hey, you're, you need to work on your purpose and values, then great. You have this authority and ability to come in and think from the top down, okay, what is it that, why are we here and how do we choose to get there? The how is the values, you know, why, mm-hmm. purpose is the why, values are your how. And then of course, tying back to the beginning when we talked about the definition, that's all defined by behaviors. That's the reason why we're doing this. How should we choose to act between choice A and choice B? Mm-hmm. Um, if the other challenge that um, emerges is in larger organizations and smaller ones, but larger organizations where they will have a group or a department where a manager or supervisor or leader will say, we don't have any sort of official 
um, mandate to do this. But I believe we need to start shifting our culture. We need to change the way that we're acting with each other. There's a lot of rolling eyes and there's a lot of disrespect and we don't, we, we, um, uh, sideline conversations and talk about it afterwards, right? Yeah. Where it's like, take it offline. And then yeah. Take it off. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. Take it offline. Well, I was actually like side note to that. I was going to ask if you, you, you have clients that the issue is sales are faltering or projects mm. are slip deadlines are slipping or anything like that, where it's actually an impacting the business. And then they come to the realization that the answer is not to hire more salespeople or to do more advertising or to change the product features. The answer is actually to work on their culture. <laughs> um, I wish people would draw that conclusion, but that is too <laughs> far removed. I mean, right. it is true to get people engaged and be able to articulate. I mean, we are building um, a training program for managers for this international organization and helping them articulate why, you know, like how they should be training their employees and how that'll, that'll work towards their sales, you know, to the sales enablement, which are kind of the last bastion, right? Of like, that's just a whole end of the kind of end of the, the line. What, what typically happens is, um, we have just gotten another round of funding and our board says we have to double our numbers. How do we do that? How do we hire the right people? Or the founders will go, will look around and be like, what happened to this place? I don't, I don't, the, it's just not the vibe isn't there. Right. <laughs> vibe. Um, and so there's, there are kind of more immediate um, elements. I mean, to your point about people are leaving, you're like, crap, what do I do? And I think odds are, you know, 50 50 that they go, oh, something, something culture. People, right? Like it's like something, <laughs> right. something they say, say it's like something about the culture. Mm -hmm. That's like, okay, great. That's, that is, that is definitely the starting point for that conversation. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when we're talking about um, productivity or engagement, I feel like the conversation is just starting to get there. And mostly the, the high leverage point are the managers. And I think that's mm -hmm. going to be when we try to go in and think about activating, um, rolling out a new um, culture program, mm -hmm. we really look to um, dig in deep with the managers so that they mm -hmm. understand how to use those values and those uh, culture, the culture playbook as a management tool. And that's really where you're going to start to see, get the kind of rubber meets the road and you're allowed to, right? You're not allowed to go in and talk to the salespeople. Well, even if you were, it would be hard to go in and talk to the sales folks about culture. That's a, that's a very different, um, you know, mm -hmm. challenge, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and this idea of, um, I, I've always been curious and I know a lot of people working in the culture space. I've been curious of if you can create a culture or are you really just finding what works within an organization and amplifying that and systematizing that? Yeah. Um, well, every organization has a culture. Uh, yeah, whether they, whether they like the culture or not, they have, right. It, right? It's exactly. like every organization has a brand, whether they intentionally that's work exactly on it or right. not. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly, <laughs> you know, I come from brand strategy. That's exactly where I got that. You know, I was like, oh, this is the same conceit. Mm -hmm. um, so it's whether it, it is, whether it is something that you feel is working or not. And I think you've articulated exactly right, which is when we go in, we 
really try to identify what's working and or or what if it's a small enough organization then it's like the leaders are like here's what i think i want and that's fine you know that's that's mm -hmm. a decent way to do it but like we described before you get those ambassadors in the room and they're going to tell you what is going to be the best you know it's what is working what kinds of peers they have that really you know this is what we need from leaders this is the kind of choices with is the support we need this is this this is what we believe the message should be and that is going to be um go a long way towards mm -hmm. developing that culture and then the caveat being it's always going to evolve you're a different organization when you're 20 200 or 2000 or 20,000 and so i definitely recommend that organizations reevaluate their values as a as a sort of the sharp point um, every two to three years mm -hmm. values should they're not indelible um, they can evolve and they should and i believe that they're a great tool to to help establish expectations around what behaviors um, people should be exhibiting mm -hmm. and they are the kinds of that they we prioritize values are an exercise in prioritization and so we we ask our clients to prioritize what are the three to five most important things that we are working on or stretching towards that are going to make us bet the best organization we can if it's if if you really don't have that diversity equity and inclusion element and that's something that's going to make a big difference for you and you want to you really want to work on that then that needs to be one of those pieces i mean you can articulate it in you know really compelling unique ways and then maybe two three four years down the line you're like this is really working everybody gets it and so maybe we can um start to articulate another challenge and mm -hmm. because like i said at the beginning you have a system the culture mm -hmm. is a self-reinforcing system so once you start moving in the right direction um you're gonna get that momentum and inertia yeah. that is gonna enable you to support and people get it they go oh this is <laughs> this is commonly accepted i yeah. i'm coming in as a new employee i see everybody's allowed to speak up and they're not going to be right. fired. And so I see that it's great. actually happening. Like, like going yes. back to what we said earlier, yes. it's not exactly. just the poster on the wall. And it's, you know, you, as you said, you come from a brand strategy background as well. And when I talk to my clients about articulating values from the brand perspective, it's about also articulating the value in a way that how is that of benefit to me as an employee, but how is that a benefit to me as a potential customer? that your organization holds that value and that they operate in that way. And it's helping them articulate it, not just as something that motivates and engages their employees, but also attracts the right kinds of clients and customers that are like, I want to do business with a company that operates that way. And we've, you and I have both seen all the data and research that show that consumers, whether B2B or B2C, are increasingly buying based on values alignment. Yeah. So I, I again, if you don't have that articulated, they can't tell if you align with their values or not because they don't know where you stand. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what do I, what do we, what do we stand for? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a really, this is, and how do we articulate the, how do we choose our partners and, and that those values should be aligned with you know, internally and externally that, mm -hmm. that you should be able to put your purpose and your values up on your website to be, and you should, yeah, you should. absolutely. You should. Cause that, that is actually a 
competitive differentiation as well, that, you know, there's a lot of other people that do what we do, but here's what we believe and here's how we do it and how we get it done. So I, this is a great segue into, uh, another question for you is how do you actually evaluate if your company values are helpful or harmful? What I would, I would ask the question, what is it that you are trying to achieve? What kind of culture do we want to foster is the place that I would start. Mm -hmm. So if you are looking to, um, you know, if we think about Amazon as uh, an interesting case study. I would never go work for Amazon because those, their values and the expression of those, it's not that they're not effective, but they're just not, I don't feel, um, include the employee. They're not employee centric, they're customer centric. So if you wanna be extremely customer focused, right, which is the stated goal, um, then those values are going to be exactly right. But if you are about supporting, you know, long-term careers and long-term, long-term value building and the humans inside the organization are a part of your vision for the future, those are not the right values for you. So again, you're looking at values as the three to five things that you are trying to improve your organization in. What are the critical next steps to get to that goal? What are you trying to achieve? Now, most companies and most of our clients are like, yes, all of these things. We wanna, we wanna sell more and be more innovative and be more diverse and da, 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 da. But the truth is that you can't be all of those things all at once. You can't mm -hmm. work on all of those. They're not priorities if you can't choose the kind of the you the can't have 40 you priorities be. yeah you can't have 40 priorities <laughs> so i don't think any you know is as in a vacuum is any particular value good or bad i mean i think it can be articulated poorly like if it's not articulated so i have another um client that were just the beginning phases they they're like oh we have values and it's like here they are one two three four five and i'm like well what do they mean i don't mm -hmm. know i don't know what it means to be i don't know whatever it is you know innovative or collaborative like what does that mean what does that to mean you? to you yeah yeah exactly so that would be you know that's a i think a, a an unhelpful value is just like okay everybody be more innovative integrity honesty customer exactly. service and it's like five bullet points on the website and then, with no, with no narr i call it the narrative what's narr the yeah, narrative that actually explains exactly what, it is. Mm -hmm. what that means here and can you give an example yep. can you give an example of that value in action yep in the company Yep. Um, yeah. I, I, when you were saying that it brought to mind that when I started my business 14 years ago, 2008, you know, or one of my values was work hard, play hard. Cause that was actually one of my values in my twenties, right? Mm -hmm. Cause work hard, mm -hmm. play hard, like extreme. <laughs> and I realized that that was actually not a helpful value for me in my <laughs> late forties with a child and a marriage <laughs> and a life. <laughs> And so, you know, I adjusted that yeah. of like, that was, yeah. that was actually an expectation that was harming me at that point. And I was yeah. more interested in seeking balance and, and fostering intentionality in my business. So I, I could see another, you know, especially with unicorns and startups where the, everything is like, go, go, go. We do, you know, I worked with a company a couple of years ago where one of their values was that, and it still was. And 
I was exhausted after having my brand workshop with them because I thought, oh my gosh, I could never work for this company. It's just too much. It's just too, <laughs> yeah, and too some intense. People, some people will be drawn to that. Exactly. And it, it, and it worked for them, right? But at, But at least they were clear about it. So if you're a new hire or you're a recruit, yeah. you know what you're getting into. And it's yeah. the same thing for some, some companies that have gotten lambasted for some negative things they've done with their culture, like Coinbase and um, Basecamp, where they have made some, they've put some stakes mm -hmm. in the ground around, around what they want to focus on. And they don't want to focus on things outside of work at work. And they're only going to be focused at work. And I said, you know, well, they're going to attract those people that for whom that resonates, Yep. but at least, you know, now yep. going in, you can't go in and be, then be miserable because you don't know where they yep. stand. Yep. You can, you can assail their choice, but you can't mm -hmm. criticize the fact that they made a choice, which is exactly. fine. Hey, it's capitalism, baby. You know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> capitalism, <this> baby, <laughs> whatever you want, what, you know, it's like, um, this is how I'm running my company and yeah. okay. Fine. Then that's how we're going to have to, and you have to be willing to take that stand and deal with the consequences of taking that stand and making that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I, right back to prioritization and mm -hmm. choices. You, you can't be in all the markets at once. You, know, you just right, can't. Right. So our last question is um, something we were discussing a little bit about is where you see the future going. Um, and I'd really love you to share a little bit of your take on the differences between employees and customers. But also this idea of the consumerization of the employee experience. Yeah. 20 years ago, um, there was an emergent trend that ended up being identified as the consumerization of IT. So enterprise um, software 20 years ago was terrible. And if you're old enough to remember them, it was very, it didn't evolve like um, the apps and software that consumers uh, consumed, right? So the launch of the iPhone and the app store and all these wonderful, beautiful apps. And so, um, the folks inside of organizations and companies were like, why would I use this software that doesn't work very well when I can use this one over here? And so they would essentially what they would end up creating is what they called shadow it, which is not secure and not a good idea, mm -hmm. um, for organizations. So software providers had an opportunity and a motivation to actually invest in user experience and user and UI and all those pieces. So creating consumer grade enterprise apps. So that was, that's the quick history of consumerization of, and there's been a bunch of other consumerization ofs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not my necessarily necessary, my, my frame necessarily. However, I realized recently that the work that we've been asked to do by our clients is pointing towards the consumerization of an employee experience. Now, what do I mean by that? A creation of a highly curated extremely strategic, well thought out um, employee experience that matches the experience an individual will have out in the world mm -hmm. when they join other communities. So your yoga studio or your co-working space or the or boutique, you know, boutique hotel is what comes to mind. I love that. Exactly. That. It's this is how I'm treated when I go there. And that's why I'm loyal to this brand. Exactly. So you're looking, I mean, you're going to start, you're going to continue to see the proliferation of communities. You be, join a community and that is exactly the, now the competitive, the competitive benchmark for 
attracting and retaining employees. And so when an employee gets, or, or a future employee, a candidate experiences um, a highly refined uh, process, welcome in, here's what it's like, let me tell you, da 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 da, here's the materials, here's, here's, here's where we stand, here's our, here's the five Ps, <laughs> all those pieces, <laughs> um, then they're going to go, wow, they really care. They really thought about this. This is some, this is an expectation that I, I get if it's, if it's, um, you know, herky jerky and like, oh my God, so sorry, I'm running late for your in interview. Uh, I forgot about you entirely. What kind of message does that send? Hey, I, I don't, I mean, honestly, I have 10 other offers. I don't, I don't care. So it's really this element of fit and finish that we need to expect. And we need to, a it needs to be continuous recruitment, re-recruitment of our employees. Here's your, again, the culture playbook. Here is our expectations. Here's what we stand for. Here is this really well thought out online resource for our culture and what it means. And here's some videos and here's some, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. give me that experience as if I'm learning a new piece of software that's really well created. Right, right. It's it's almost design thinking applied to the employee experience. And, and that also includes, you know, the elements that you need to take care of, recognition, rewards, performance evaluations, feedback, all of those things. What, you know, when you're, mm -hmm. when you're young and scrappy in your startup and you're kind of throwing these things out there and experimenting with them, great, but how can you codify them? So they're mm -hmm. repeatable and sustainable. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Josh, this has been such a great conversation. I could talk to you for another hour about this stuff <laughs> where our <laughs> another, worlds collide. Another, de another decade, perhaps. Another more, decade. Yeah. But first, uh, we'll have all the links to you and to Great Mondays and to your book, Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love, in the show notes. But real quickly, can you just share how folks can get in touch with you if they're listening while they're on their Peloton or something? <laughs> sure. Head to greatmondays.com. There's a bunch of free resources, um, links to the book, and um, ways to get in touch with me. You can click that link and we can set up a 30-minute quick call if you wanted to chat. Happy to do it. Awesome. Thanks for your time today, Josh. My pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. As always, please share the podcast if you love it, rate and review. Those really help us out. And never forget that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Thank you.